Yeah, I just switch hats. I, I put on a different microphone, and from that you can tell all the other guys are out of town. <laughs> so good morning, everybody. If I haven't already said good morning to you, good morning. Before we get started, uh, I want to call your attention to a new piece of artwork that's actual functional artwork. How many of you guys noticed the big heart-shaped thing hanging out there? Yeah, you know what that's for? We've got a special contribution that's coming up. Yeah, it's like less than a month away. We've been talking about it for the better part of a year. And next month, we're actually going to take up that contribution. Now, a lot of times what, what people will do whenever they take up contributions or fundraising, you've seen them before where they have the little thermometer and they'll have a dollar mark on there and they fill it up with things so that people can kind of see how that donation is going. And it's really encouraging. Well, we wanted to do the same thing, but we learned from the last time that we did a, a special contribution. If you remember that, we started off with a dollar amount that we had in mind, and then we realized the Scripture doesn't tell us to raise a certain amount of money. The Scripture tells us to be good and faithful servants. It talks about the kind of heart that God wants from a giver. And so Tim came up with this idea. I thought it was really clever and, and potentially massively encouraging which is to put that heart out there, which talks about the heart of the giver that God is looking for. And so what we would like for you to do, if you intend to give to the special contribution, and many people already have, there's, a, there's red hearts, I believe, at the Welcome Center and someone there to give them to you. We would like for you to put a red heart in. There's a little slot at the top of the heart on the wall where you can drop it in. And we want to see it there. See, what God is after is he's after our hearts. Jesus said that there was a connection between our hearts and our money. Specifically, what he said was, where your heart, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as you see that heart filling up with red hearts, what I hope that you realize is there are people who treasure this ministry, treasure this community of believers right here, enough so that they're willing to invest in it. They're willing to give. The dollar amount is not important. It's the heart that's important. So if, uh, let's just say, you're a family of five, and you're gonna, you've made a contribution or you're going to make a contribution, feel free to put five hearts in there. Because you're not just talking, if it's you and your husband or you and your wife, put in a heart for each person that's got their heart given to Jesus and wants to invest in this ministry and in this church and then we'll watch and see how it fills up over time okay public service announcement over so we are in a lesson of a series of lessons we've been in it for a while it's called foolproof anybody here enjoying what we're learning going through it it's very practical isn't it there are three books that are known as wisdom literature in the Old Testament, Proverbs is one of them. It's written by a guy that should be familiar with us if, you, if you've read through the Old Testament at all. It's a guy named Solomon. This was King David's kid. And Solomon prayed for wisdom, and God granted him wisdom more than anybody else. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at these Proverbs that he's written and trying to take from that godly wisdom so that we can foolproof our lives, foolproof our decisions, and become more like Jesus. Tim, a few weeks ago, asked me, he said uh, basically everybody else was out of town and they couldn't twist anybody else's arm 
to preach, so he asked me if I would do it. And he said, uh, that's a te- that's, I'm teasing, that's not how that went down. But he asked me to talk about words. And I thought, yep, that narrows it right down. The Bible's full of a lot of them. Uh, so we're going to try and cover words in two weeks, a part one and a part two. So what we're talking about today and next week is what to do with words. We hear them all the time. What do you do with words? Specifically, what I want to try to talk about this morning is what words should I hear? Should we hear every word that we come across? Are there some words we have to learn to ignore? Some we should pay more attention to? Let me ask you this question. Is there a difference between hearing and listening? Ah, there is. What's the difference? Reaction of? Okay. In English, we kind of know there's a difference between hearing and listening. I was mentioning this earlier in Coral said, I'm a teacher at the college level. Believe me, I know the difference between people that are hearing me, the vibrations are bouncing off their eardrums, and people who are listening to me. Would it surprise you to find out that in Proverbs, there is no difference between hearing and listening? It surprised me. Because what I did to try to prepare for this lesson for you guys is I thought, well, we're sticking to Proverbs. I'll, I'll just pull up every verse that mentions hearing or listening. Found 17 of them by my count. You can go back and do your own research if you want to and check me out on that. And what I found was the same word that gets translated as either hearing or listening is the same Hebrew word, Shema. Have you ever heard of that? It's a popular word. It's, it's, a lot of people understand that word. Here's what Shema means. It means to hear intelligently, with attention, and with obedience. Let that sink in for a second. Listening, Shema, means to hear intelligently. Mind is on. You're giving it your attention. You're paying attention to those words with the intention of being obedient to those words. That dials it up, doesn't it? How many wives in the crowd this morning wish that their husbands would Shema them? How many husbands wish that their wives would shema them? And all of us who are parents wish that our kids would shema us, right? Okay, we're all on board. We got the idea. Solomon is talking about shema. What should I do with words? I should hear words. What kinds of words does Solomon think we should hear? He breaks them out into what I think are three different categories. And these categories can make me wise if I will listen to the words intelligently, with attention and obedience. Here's the first category. If I want to be wise, I need to learn how to shema, listen to advice. To advice. Here's what Proverbs 12:15 says. Fools think they know what is best, but a sensible person listens to advice. Okay. Proverbs 19.20 says, if you listen to advice and are willing to learn, one day you will be wise. How many of you guys really have learned to tap into advice? 
have learned that. Whenever I first got here uh, in 1991, we were a very young church, and there wasn't a lot of wisdom among our ranks. We just hadn't lived long enough to have that much wisdom. Different people were at different places. But one of the most often, Deb, Chris, you remember this? One of the most often things we talked about in those days was the necessity and the value in seeking advice. Did that always go right and well? No, it didn't always go right and well. But it was still a really good thing. Here's some some things I learned about advice. I mean, I've learned that advice is huge in helping me to avoid trouble and finding the right answer to things and making the right moves. But here's some things I also learned. Seeking advice is not surrendering your right to think for yourself. Asking for advice and seeking advice is not surrendering your right, even your obligation and duty, to think for yourself. What it is about is learning how to think wisely. See, if I will humble myself, and it takes humility to to ask advice, if I will humble myself and ask for advice, I may get different advice from ten different people. No clear, I should do it this way. Ten people may tell me I should do the very same thing, and in which case that makes a pretty convincing argument that I should do that thing. But if I get ten different answers, I'm getting ten different perspectives which help to inform me so that I can make a good decision. See how that works? Here's something else I learned about advice. Asking someone's opinion or asking for someone's advice about a decision that you've already made is not seeking advice. That may be seeking approval. That may be seeking affirmation. But it is not seeking advice. And there have been so many times whenever I and others have already made my decision, what I'm going to do, and now I'm going to ask you for your advice, hoping that you're going to agree with me. That's manipulative. That is not a path to wisdom. That's a path for aggravating the fire out of the people that you're saying, I want your advice. I've been there on either side of that coin. So advice is one category that, Paul, that Solomon deals with. Here's another category that Solomon deals with. Words of reproof. Anybody here on a regular basis use the word reproof? Yeah, me either. It means correction. It means correction. Proverbs 15.31 says, The person who hears the reproof, the correction, that leads to life is at home among the wise. The one who refuses correction despises himself. But whoever hears reproof acquires understanding. Does anybody here like to be corrected? Yeah, we may have to work on this one, huh? I'm right there with you. I don't always like it. It's sometimes very frustrating. But there's such potential for blessing if I'll hear correction. Proverbs 25 through 12 says, Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. See, if I want to be wise, then what I'm going to learn to do is I'm going to learn to normalize and welcome correction. Normalize and welcome correction rather than avoiding, resisting, resisting, 
resenting or fearing it. Most of us struggle in this area. I don't know if this is common to all cultures everywhere, but as Americans, we don't like to be corrected too much, do we? And it's a pride problem. But if I want to be wise, I need to learn to appreciate and value correction. Third category Solomon talks about is instruction. If I want to be wise, I need to hear, listen to instruction. Proverbs 8.33 says, listen to instruction and be wise. Don't ignore it. Proverbs 19.27 says, if you stop listening to instruction, my child, you will turn back on knowledge. You'll turn away from knowledge if you refuse instruction. Why would you not let someone instruct you? Back to pride as a root again, right? But doesn't it often boot up in our society that if I'm accepting instruction, then you must be greater and I must be weaker? I defer to the stronger one, to the better one. And see, letting someone teach me is a sign of strength, not of weakness. Okay, so these, these three categories are what Paul, what Solomon brings out in Proverbs. I need to, what do I do with words? I need to learn to hear words of advice, words of correction and reproof, words of instruction. So, how many people in your experience are actually lined up, willing and eager to give you advice, correction, and instruction? In your thinking, please consider outlets such as social media, network news, cable and network news, especially the opinion-based, entertainment-based news services, politicians, etc. How many people are willing to give you advice? How many people want to correct you? Have, has anybody correct you for using the wrong pronoun yet? Yeah, there's just, there's all kinds of people that are standing around waiting to correct you, to instruct you, and to give you advice. Do they all agree? Or are they all saying the same thing to you? Almost never. You're right. Are they all equally able to make you wise? Uh-huh. So who am I going to listen to? And how am I going to choose between them? See, what I'm finding out is that there's more to this whole listening to, to words, the, one, the kinds of listening and the kinds of words we need. It's going to go deeper than just the categories, isn't it? It's going to go down to the source of some of these words. You following me? I misled you just a tiny bit. Of the 17 verses that I found in Proverbs, I said that Shema was the word. I was trying to be, tried to be careful with my English so that I... Will, I didn't give away this, this huge thing, but I didn't lie to you. There is one verse that uses a different Hebrew word than Shema that we translate into English as listening. The word that they use here is a word called sh- uh, uh, kashab. I'm not an a, a ancient Hebrew speaker, so I have to struggle with the pronunciation. But here's where you find that verse. It's in Proverbs 17.4. And listen to this, because there's a slight variation between 
Shema, and Keshab. Solomon says an evildoer listens, Keshab, not Shema, to wicked lips. And a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. What's the difference between Shema and Keshab? They both have this expectation of listening intelligently with this idea of obedience. Everything that we, we found in, Keshab, in Shema. But Keshab also includes the element of being eager to hear. Like, I'm really ready to hear this person. And it's, it strikes me that the only uh, verse that he uses this in is a one that, that's a negative verse. An evildoer is eager to listen to the wicked lips. And a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. You see, the evildoer is eager to hear wicked lips. Isn't it true that some people are eager to hear from celebrities in certain sources, unvetted experts? Essentially, they're eager to hear anybody who will say what they want to hear or who will agree with them. During COVID, I had an argument with someone that was very, very dear to me. And in the, in the middle of that, uh, she said, well, I'm just following the science. And I wanted so bad, but I didn't say it because I wanted to try to preserve the relationship. I wanted so bad to say, honey, you are not listening to the science. You're not following the science. The scientists don't agree. You yourself are not a scientist. You are choosing which scientist you want to listen to. And why would you choose that one versus this one? It's not based on the merits of the scientific argument. It's based on what you want to hear. Anybody else ever made that mistake? Maybe not about COVID. I believe that we all fall into this. And so we've got to watch. Who am I eager to hear from? It's not just the types of words that I listen to that are going to make me wise. It's whose words of advice, reproof, and instruction I listen to that will determine if I'm going to be wise or be a fool. Everybody with me there? Okay, so the real question is, where am I at? Where am I at? Whenever it, what, what am I doing with words? What am I choosing to listen to? Who am I choosing to listen to? Not just hear, but listen to. And so I've got a couple of clarifying questions that might help you put yourself somewhere on a chart. Because I find that it's very difficult to evaluate myself sometimes. We're all just a little self-deceived. Sometimes I thought that I was doing a whole lot better than I actually was. I might have been the only one in the room who thought I was doing something well. But I thought I was doing well. So how do I break through that self-deception and see myself accurately? Here's a couple questions that might help. The first question is, whose words matter most to me? Whose words matter most to me? Not everybody's words are equal in your ears, are they? Whose words matter the most? And here's a second one. Who do I spend the most time listening to? Now, the first question probably seems a little obvious. The second one may not be that obvious. Here's the reality. Who you believe 
Who influences your thinking, your, your moods, your emotions, your values, is really going to be more dependent on who you spend the most time listening to. We tend to believe as true what we hear the most often. I mean, advertisers understand this. That's why they keep repeating their commercials over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Politicians understand this. That's why they keep saying the same things over and over and over. Bald-faced lies sometimes. You know, like, like, there's nobody standing next to me and there's like three people there. There's nobody standing next to me. There's no... You keep listening to him long enough, you may believe him or her. Who we listen to the most... Who I spend the most time listening to will shape my thoughts and my decisions. So if I want to be wise, who should I be eager to listen to? That's where all of the the Proverbs are leading me. Did anybody else follow that breadcrumb? It kind of takes me to that place of, I need to answer this question. Who is it that I'm supposed to be eager to listen to? Have I got them identified? Am I actually listening to them? Am I eager to hear from them? Well, I find two... Two answers to that question. The first one is, one, I should be eager to listen to Jesus. I should be eager to listen to Jesus. How do I know that? Well, for a number of ways. I won't list all of them. But here's one that's pretty impressive. It's found in Matthew 17.5. God himself said I should listen to Jesus. You remember the, the story about the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Well, in Matthew 17, Matthew's writing down what happened there, and he records this. He says, He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. The apostles that heard that, they had the same dynamics that you and I are dealing with. Who am I going to listen to? I, I... have all the respect and uh, concern in the world for the generations that are coming up through junior high and high school right now because they're dealing with something that people in my age group really didn't have to deal with and that is the proliferation of people who consider themselves to be experts. I mean, in my generation, it was fairly easy to find someone that qualified that you could vet fairly easily as being worthy of listening to. Well, now we've got the blessing of the internet and smartphones and Wikipedia and all these, with just a click, we can tune in a thousand different experts who won't agree. And so I, I just suspect that that younger generation is going to have to deal with this question of who am I going to listen to in a hard way. And they're going to have to have a good reason to turn to Jesus. I just think I showed you a very good one, but there's another one. John 1, 1 through 5. John says, in the beginning was the Word. What to do with words? That's our topic, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the most vetted person to have ever existed. He is more eminently qualified to be listened to. He's not a source of good words. He is the source of the word. God endorsed him from heaven audibly. Let's say that you're questioning whether or not these stories that we read in the Bible are true this morning. How do you know without showing me the Bible that Jesus is the one that I should listen to? Well, I don't know. I'm just spitballing here real quick, but let me throw this one at you. He rose from the dead, said he was going to do it, and did it. We're not talking like he was dead on, a, on, a, on an operating table for five minutes, and they brought him back to life. You know, boom, did the Bojangles kind of electric shock thing, and he danced off the table. It wasn't that. He was dead for three days, executed by the most professional executioners the world has ever known. The Romans were really good at two things, at least two things, building roads and killing people. They killed Jesus expertly, verified, would not have let him off that cross until they knew for sure he was dead. Even atheists know that they cannot disprove the resurrection. It's too well attested to. If there's anybody that I'm going to listen to and say, okay, whenever it's a jump ball, other, other voices are shouting. If there's one person whose voice is going to rise above it for me, it's going to be the guy who said they're going to kill me and I'm going to come back to life in three days and then did it. Is that impressive to you? It's impressive to me too. Of course, I'm sort of preaching to the choir here this morning because most of us here know that and have embraced that. But we've got a world, and we've got kids here, adults here, who don't know if the Bible's really all that believable, who are still struggling with this question of who am I going to listen to. Some of us have come to that place where we intellectually know that it's Jesus that I need to be eager to hear, to hear from, but we kind of con ourselves into thinking we do when we don't really. Jesus is well qualified. So here's the question. How much time do I spend listening to Jesus? If we just determined, and I think I saw everybody agree with me that he's the one, the number one voice that I should listen to, he is absolutely qualified. Then here's my question. How much time do I spend listening to him? Because we know the truth is who I listen to the most is going to have the biggest impact on what I consider to be true. It's going to have the biggest influence on the decisions I make and the way that I perceive the world around me. How much time do I spend listening to Jesus? Am I really studying his teachings? Do I have regular quiet times? I'm just giving you questions that you can ask yourself to see where you really stand on this. Do I have regular quiet times? Do I have a time set aside for Bible study? Do I have time for discipling relationships? And I'm, th I'm sure that there are other ways that we can tap into and listen to Jesus than the ones I just presented to you, but these are three easy ones that are common in this, in this congregation.
that we all know are there. How much time do I spend listening to Jesus? Second answer to who should I be eager to listen to? I should be eager to listen to the people Jesus sends. I should be eager to listen to the people Jesus sends. John 13.20 says this. Make sure you get this right. Receiving someone I send is the same as receiving me. Just as receiving me is the same as receiving the one who sent me. Boy, you want to talk about making it pretty plain. If Jesus sends someone to speak to me, I need to listen to them the way that I should listen to Jesus. Because that's the same thing as listening to God. I should be eager to listen to the people that Jesus sends. Well, who did he send? Let's look at it. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. And he, talking about Jesus here, says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, some pastors, some will say uh, elders, some trans- translations will say elders, and teachers. Why did he give those four categories of people to the church? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Did you realize that when you reject one of the apostles, you're rejecting Jesus? I had a shocking conversation back in 1991 with a lady I've never met before or since. And she went on to tell me how the Apostle Paul was, was anti-feminine, he was a chauvinist, and all of his writings should be ignored. That was the first time I had ever had anybody suggest to me that one of the apostles shouldn't be listened to. And I, did, I was flabbergasted. I didn't even know how to talk to this lady. If I had, at that time been aware of the one we just looked before, John 13, 20, I might have tried to help her look at that (laughs) and see if maybe she might reconsider her position. But what about shepherds, elders? What about teachers or evangelists? Do you see that if I won't listen to them, Jesus sent them, and if I won't listen to them, it's the same thing as not listening to Jesus. Okay, i got to let you know, even me saying that makes me want to cringe and get, you know, kind of push back a little bit, because I don't always trust the things I say. (laughs) I don't know that I always want you to trust the things I say that much either. Lots of people claim to be speaking for God. But are they? How can I know which ones are really sent by Jesus? I'm an elder and I'm a teacher. Am I really sent by God? I guarantee you God did not whisper in my ear this morning and say, Alan, I need you to go speak. (laughs) That didn't happen that way. How can you tell and how can you know if what I'm saying to you really represents Jesus accurately? It can be done. All you have to do is compare what I'm saying to what Jesus said. 
How can you tell if any preacher, elder, shepherd, evangelist, any of these, how can you tell if anybody is sent by Jesus? Compare what they say to what Jesus said. We can do that. We can figure it out. Okay, well, next question, defensive question that I would want to raise is I would say, well, what if they aren't and aren't claiming to be apostles or evangelists, shepherds or teachers? Can God speak through someone who isn't one of them? I'll go you another step. Can God speak through someone who doesn't even know that God is speaking through them? That's an even higher hurdle, right? Yeah, he can. In fact, there's a couple of examples of it in Scripture. Caiaphas, the high priest. Do you remember that? You'll find it over in John 11, 51 through 52. He did not say this. This is what it says there. It says, he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. This guy was definitely not a Christian. He was the high priest, but it was a political appointment. He was not even authorized. He wasn't, as I understand it, he wasn't from the line of Aaron. He was a political puppet of Rome, but he was still holding the office of high priest. He was not a Christian. He was not on Jesus' team. Jesus was a threat. He wanted to put Jesus down, and God speaks through him. Crazy, huh? What about... And, and maybe you'll remember this from your, your Bible school years. What about Balaam and his donkey? Numbers 22. You want to talk about one of those wild stories in the Bible to get your attention. God actually talked through a donkey. What should I take away from that? Well, I take it like this. Even if a total jackass says something that Jesus agrees with, I should listen. I might qualify <laughs> under that standard. You get my point, right? Yeah. What does Jesus want me to hear? What does Jesus want me to hear? I know some people that uh, are in churches that are leaders. Um, they used to say, what Jesus wants you to hear is you need to serve me because I'm your leader, so I need you to wash my car. I heard of a church within the last 10 years that decided that they were going to add on a $4 million extension to their church building. And they informed the congregation that they were now obligated to give 20% of their incomes as opposed to 10%. Okay. Uh, what does Jesus want me to hear? Does he want me to hear stuff like that? No, I don't think so either. Jesus said a lot of things, right? I'm sure he wanted me to hear all of them. But I think it might come down to this one nub verse. You'll find it in Mark 1, 15. Jesus said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. What does Jesus want me to hear? I would suggest to you that what Jesus wants every one of us to hear is the same core message that he wanted everybody to hear 2,000 years ago. He wants us to repent and believe. Cool. What does repent and believe mean? 
if uh, you set it on the street corner right now, let's just say we, we did a, a social experiment and I went out on a street corner and started saying, repent and believe, repent and believe. What do you think people would think I was telling them to do? If you heard me or somebody else out there saying that, what would you think that you were being asked to do? You'd probably be thinking that they're telling you to stop sinning and take up religion. Right? I mean, that's how we hear those words, repent and believe. But is that the way that a first century Jewish person in Palestine would have heard and understood, listened intently and intelligently with, a, with an eye for obedience? Is that how they would have listened to Jesus? Is that what they would have heard? There is a way to find out. And the best way to find out about stuff like that is to look at a first century example a contemporary example of the word usage by someone other than someone in the Bible. Greek was a worldwide language. It was very well written. A lot of people wrote that way, and a lot of people used these words. So if you hear these words used this way in the Bible, and you hear them used the same way in a source that's outside the Bible, gives you a pretty good idea of what the Bible authors wanted you to know. In fact, the word repent and believe were not religious words when Jesus used them. They were common words that everybody understood. But here's an example I can give you of someone in the first century, contemporary to Jesus, who used those words and wrote them down. There's a guy named Josephus. Have you guys heard of him? He was a Jewish historian, and uh, he's most well-known for writing a book called The Jewish War. Je uh, Josephus was originally all for armed revolt against Rome. But he changed his mind and thought that the Jews should work with the Romans rather than getting into a war that they couldn't win. He was an aristocrat, so he realized he had a lot to lose if his country was laid to waste. So he began to say, hey, let's find another way other than trying to shoot at them. They got all the guns and money. We're not going to win. His agenda didn't make him very popular with the various militia leaders in the region. But it didn't stop him from trying to persuade them. And in his writings, Jude, uh, Josephus records an incident where he confronted a guerrilla leader, confusingly named Jesus. Jesus was a common name like Joe in our culture. But there's this guerrilla leader who is arming for war, to go to war against Rome, which is going to bring all the legions storming down and just destroy him, which eventually did happen. And Josephus records the conversation that he has with this guy, trying to turn him away from it. And Josephus said that he wanted this guy to repent and believe in him. He used the very same words that Jesus used. Repent and believe. What was Josephus asking this guy to do? He was asking him to give up his own agenda and embrace Josephus' agenda. Have confidence in Josephus' agenda and abandon his own. What did Jesus mean when he said, repent and believe? The same thing. And as long as we struggle to not hear Shema, Jesus' words, but instead we just sort of think we know what it means, and we put them in the religious words category, stop sinning, get religion, we're not going to really listen to Jesus and hear what he's really trying to say. And we're, we're likely to be more of a fool than wise. It changes a lot whenever you understand that Jesus is telling us 
to abandon your agenda and embrace His. Let that sink in for a minute, because for me, I had, to, I had to sit with that truth for a minute. And maybe you will too. It changes the way that I go to church. It changes the way that I pray, the way that I study, the way that I work for my boss, the way that I react to my wife and serve you guys. It's not about religion. It's about whose agenda am I going to follow And as Christians, our agendas die hard, don't they? But if I'm going to hear Jesus, I'm going to have to abandon my agenda. I'm going to have to embrace His. Where's the best place to find Jesus' agenda? It's all over the Bible, it really is. But if I was going to narrow it down to one good starting spot, I would say, why not start with His Sermon on the Mount? If you've studied through that, you know it's life-changing. Every time I go through it, it goes deeper for me. And I, I came to a place where I had been a Christian for many, 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 many years and realized that I only knew a few quotes from his sermon that I had never really sat down to deal with what Jesus actually taught. And I thought, oh my goodness, how did this happen? Am I following Jesus or am I following this church? Because there was a time in my walk where I knew more about what this church taught than what I actually knew about what Jesus taught. Now I found out a lot of really great and sturdy things I were taught over here that they was accurate is what Jesus was saying. But I also found a few that were maybe not so good. And one of the things that Gary and Tim and I are always doing is studying the Scriptures to find out Are we really teaching what Jesus is saying? Or are we in some way spinning this for our culture's sake? For our comfort's sake? Are we really abandoning our agenda? Because I got to tell you, whenever you're leading in a church, it's awfully easy to get an agenda. Hmm. So is my agenda... I'm preaching to myself this morning. I hope you're getting that. I'm hoping that you can learn something from it too. If I'm going to repent and believe, I have to abandon my agenda and get on board with His. So, what does it look like when I'm really listening to Jesus? It should look like something, yeah? You can tell when someone's really listening to you. How can you tell if you're really listening to Jesus? Well, here's some ideas. Number one, I'm not the one probably doing all the talking. If I'm listening to Jesus, I'm probably not the one who's doing all the talking. You ever talk to someone and they just never, they won't shut up? You know it doesn't matter what you said, they wouldn't hear it anyway. You know, you, you, if you're trying to say something, you're trying to get, get it in there edgewise, you take a breath and they just jump right back in. <laughs> it's like, man, this is a waste of time. They're not listening to me. How... Many times are our prayers like that with Jesus. How many times do we come to our quiet times? We don't stop talking. Am I making room to hear God's Word? When I come here on a Sunday morning, do I come to listen for God's voice? When I get together with other Christians... Am I listening for Jesus' voice? 
Number two, not only will I not be the, the one doing all the talking, if I'm really listening, I'll also be willing to do whatever Jesus says. One of the surest ways that you can tell that you're not really listening to Jesus is whenever you know there's something that he wants you to either start doing or stop doing and you're not willing. We all deal with this, folks. I am surprised how many times I find another one that I'm not willing to do and I didn't even realize I was there. But God is gracious and His Spirit brings comfort and leads and shows me I'm being stupid. I'm being a fool. Now I've got a choice. Am I really willing to do whatever Jesus wants me to do? I had a guy in this parking lot, this has been a hundred years ago. He said, Alan, if, if God spoke to you, if Jesus spoke to you, and he said, and you knew it was him. And I said, dude, you got to first understand, I'm a Church of Christ guy. If God actually ever talks to me, really talks to me, I'm just going to die on the spot. Because we're not used to that kind of thing. He says, okay, but play with me here. <laughs> Go with me. Don't focus. Don't, don't lose the plot. My question is, if you knew it was Jesus, and Jesus said, listen, I really do need you to give up your job and every worldly possession and, and live in a tent or a culvert for a year, just for a year, to serve my purposes. Would that really be too much? Would that really be too much for him to ask of you? And I was stunned that it took me a minute. I, I, I couldn't just say, well, sure, I'd do whatever. I didn't go there. I was like, ooh, culvert. I'm thinking, January's around here. It could be kind of tough. <laughs> I'm, I'm weighing it out. But as I processed the question, what I came to was, no, if it's really Jesus, it isn't too much. I really hope he doesn't ask me to do that. But will I? And it was a great question for him to ask me because I had to wrestle with it for like weeks. And I still have to go back to it from time to time to say, gut check time. Am I really willing to do whatever Jesus wants me to do? A lot of times what I'm finding is Jesus is not asking me to live in a culvert or to be homeless for a year, but he is asking me to not hold a grudge. He is asking me not to think too highly of myself. He's asking me to stop being so stinking selfish and prideful. Anybody else can relate? Am I really willing to do whatever he says? The last one that I've got, it looks like I'm really listening to Jesus when I'm in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5.25. And I know I throw a lot of Greek words and Hebrew words out in my lessons, but it's just because we sometimes take words at face value and we don't always get the, the original meaning. And sometimes it's just so worth it to go back and understand what these words meant in the original language. And... Whenever we're told to be in step with the Spirit in Galatians 5, that in step word is a specific word in Greek, stikeo, which means marching. Letting the Spirit call the cadence in my life. Letting the Spirit say left, right. Anybody else here besides me march? You know, in maybe a band? Nope, not, not how about in the military? Anybody seen either one of those happen? 
Okay. You get the idea that for a group of people to move together in some sort of a coordinated fashion, somebody has got to call the cadence. Somebody has got to say left, right, left, right. Somebody has got to say let's turn left, let's go right, let's stop, let's move ahead, let's double time. If I'm really listening to Jesus, it's going to be the Holy Spirit that I'm going to be in step with. I'm going to do my best to get in step with him. I've got all kinds of metaphors from my times marching and different things, how you would skip a step to get back in step. Examples of people that that tripped up all kinds of folks because they wouldn't get in step, but I'm going to spare that because I've already gone too long this morning. I hope that I'm leaving you with some real tools here to understand what to do with words. There are words that we need to listen to. There are words that we need to not listen to. It comes down to listening to Jesus. He is eminently qualified and trustworthy to listen to. And he really wants me to hear him say, abandon your agenda and sell yourself out to mine. Grab a hold of it. And the rest of that, living that out, is why we get together on Sunday mornings. This is why we preach. This is why we study. This is why we have quiet times and small groups and discipling relationships is because it is not altogether simple to let go of my agenda, to recognize the difference between my agenda and Jesus' agenda. And I can't do it on my own. I have to have other people with me. I hope that you'll be persuaded to repent and believe and to listen to Jesus above all else. If you would, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for for granting us wise teachers, for preserving. It's just wild that Solomon writes this stuff like 3,000 years ago, and we're still able to learn from it today. The timelessness of truth is amazing. And your provision to give us guidance, to teach us, how to have godly wisdom and to live with skill in this world. You're truly looking out for us in so many ways. Father, I pray that you'll help us to listen and to hear your words, to hear Jesus above all the other voices that shout. Father, I pray that you'll grant us the kind of repentance that Jesus was talking about, that you'll help us to really change the way we think and act and to not cling so selfishly and pridefully to our own agendas, but to really embrace yours wholeheartedly. And Father, I pray that you'll move in us to help us to get in step with your Spirit. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm so secure You're here You're holding me now in your hands, I belong.